Good morning. Good to see you all. Thanks for being with us. I'm going to read our gospel text for today, and then we are going to come back and work our way through it uh, a bit more slowly in more detail in just a moment. Our gospel reading is from Luke 17. We've been spending a lot of time in Luke over the past couple of months. Middle of the chapter, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're going to explore this story, a story that's probably quite familiar for many in the room. But before we start breaking this down, you know, one of the things, one of the first things that I do when traveling to a new location, maybe a city that I've never been to, one of the first things I do is a bit of recon work regarding dining options. Anybody else? That's one of the primary purposes in traveling, I think. Last month, Nanette and I went to the beach for a quick vacation. It was a wonderful, very refreshing time away, but I spent some time on the old Google and found a taco place with great reviews and no seafood on the menu. Now, I actually love fresh seafood, but I've always sensed that in some of those tourist destinations on the beach, they are getting their seafood from the same refrigerated truck that is bringing it to Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> I don't know if you've sensed that. Maybe I'm, I'm cynical, I don't know. But anyway, I found this taco place, really great reviews. We drive 20 minutes to get there, and this <laughs> is where the GPS takes us. As you can see, it is just a street of storage units, I don't know, warehouse spaces. This place either has the best tacos in the land, or it's the beginning of a horror movie. There's no <laughs> in-between but we decided to risk it. And the food was incredible and we are still here. But I was reminded on that, we actually went back the next day for more tacos. I, I was reminded that there is often more than meets the eye. As is the case with so much in life, the same I think often holds true when it comes to our scriptures, there's more than meets the eye. So it is with many of the miracles of Jesus. You know, there is that first, most obvious, the immediate surface level power encounter that completely alters people's lives. As illnesses are healed, broken bodies restored, or maybe hungry mouths are fed, but 
there are also a host of theological implications, and those theological implications seem intentional on the part of the authors of the Gospels, implications that many scholars believe their audience would have picked up on quite quickly. So I want us to keep this in mind as we begin to go through this story pretty slowly. I'll read the first couple of verses again. Verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So on the road again, we find Jesus here continuing his journey to to Jerusalem, entering a village and immediately, it seems, confronted by great need. Need, as we discover, of the most dire variety. Ten individuals with leprosy see him from a distance and call out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Leprosy is a condition that most are probably fairly unfamiliar with as 21st century Westerners, but it was an awful condition. It wasn't only the physical pain and discomfort. If those terrible realities weren't devastating enough, you add to it the religious, the ritual implications, even the social implications, it was a horrific place to find yourself. Because of the contagious nature of this disease, extreme measures were employed to limit its spread. Now, the disruptive nature of that disease probably, for many, hits a bit closer to home after, after the past couple of years as terms like isolation and quarantine became a normal part of our vocabulary. But consider our experiences in recent memory with terms like isolation, but do away with that 10-day period that we became so accustomed to. The quarantine and isolation associated with leprosy was sort of a permanent predicament barring something unexpected and miraculous. We actually read in number six how Israel was to deal with this specific disease. In verse 2, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Suffice it to say, individuals with leprosy, even into the first century, were outcasts, relegated to life in community with other individuals who also had leprosy but relegated outside of the city, unable to have contact with family, unable to have contact with friends, unable to participate in religious Rituals. In fact, and we see this taking place in this story, if they happened to encounter someone while walking along the street, they were required to announce their presence and their condition. Required to shout out, unclean. Keep your distance. It is 
not safe so that the one approaching understood the danger they presented. Their forsaken situation was hopeless. So it makes sense in this story in Luke 17 when we find these ten seeing Jesus from afar that they call out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. And I think what we find, the response we find from Jesus, though it may seem coincidental or unimportant, but I think Christ's response here actually shows us something important about our God. Jesus has been informed about the condition these individuals had. They've likely shouted out, hey, we are unclean, yet we don't see Jesus ignoring. We don't see Jesus finding the back door or looking for a way out of the situation. He looks directly at them and addresses them. Now, maybe it's more subtle in this story than it is at other points in the gospel story, but throughout the gospels, this is the consistent picture we find of Jesus, one who is always, always moving towards pain, not away from it, not avoiding it, but moving towards it. I think this is one of the reasons we can sing like we did today, that there is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Who else is constantly moving towards our pain? Who else willing to sit with us in it? Who else sees us, truly sees us and empathizes even in our most devastating situations? He's always moving towards pain. And I believe that's true today. I believe it's true for each of us. And I hope you find encouragement in that reality today if you are experiencing great pain. Maybe pain that nobody else is even aware of. Maybe a broken marriage or a fractured relationship with a good friend or a terrible diagnosis. Or maybe you find yourself overwhelmed by the task of raising small children. Or at the other end of the spectrum, maybe you are tasked with caring for aging parents or you're dealing with grief. The list goes on and on and it's as varied as the group itself is. But whatever pain you brought into this place today, it is not off limits. It is not keeping Jesus distant from you. He is always, always moving towards pain. I want to come back to that in a moment, but let's continue reading for now. Verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So upon that initial interaction with these individuals, Jesus instructs them to go show themselves 
to the priests. It's very practical in nature. This was the necessary step for re-entry into Israel's civic life. The priest has to ensure that the disease has in fact been eradicated and then remove that scarlet letter from the individuals before they could resume normal life. Just going back to your family and friends and declaring, hey, I'm, I'm better with this particular disease, that's not going to cut it. I, I need a doctor's note or something. Let, let's make sure that the danger is resolved before reintegration into society. But what is interesting about this instruction is that Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest prior to any recognizable healing. It seems as though he was calling for a step of faith of some kind from these individuals, which is not altogether unheard of might remind you of a story we read back in 2 Kings chapter 5 where the prophet instructs Naaman to dip into the river seven times. An act that seems silly or childish at best. I mean, why would I go show myself to the priests when I still have this condition of leprosy? But if you're sort of at a dead end... What else are you supposed to do? I'll try anything if the circumstances are that dire. And so all ten of these individuals take that step of faith. They head to the priest, and as they do, we are told they are healed. Now, it may appear at the outset that this is just another random story of healing from Jesus. People are sick. They get better, hooray, let's move on to the next story. But there's more than meets the eye. N.T. Wright suggests that this act of healing in particular, but many others like it, or the forgiveness that we see Jesus offering and declaring over people, or the welcome that he extends to outcasts, all of these actions symbolize or sum up some of the core features of Jesus' ministry. So these acts of healing are actually more than just physical healings. These are kingdom announcements proclaiming that Israel's God is here. Israel's God is even now present and active and bringing true healing, bringing restoration, new life, not just physical healing, but genuine wholeness. It's worth noting that in verses 14 and 15, as these individuals all depart and head to the priests, we are told that Jesus heals them. They recognize the healing that they've experienced. And the word used here denotes primarily a physical cleanliness or a ceremonial cleansing that they experienced. But when the one Samaritan returns in faith to praise God and thank Jesus for his help, Jesus responds to him by saying, your faith has healed you, or your faith has made you well. A different word is used here, not coincidentally. This is one that denotes something much more involved than just a physical cleansing, but points to a deeper salvation, a deliverance, a healing, or making whole not just of a broken body, but of every broken part 
I mean, this guy was already healed of leprosy. This is why he returns to Jesus in the first place, to give thanks. He experienced and recognized that physical healing. But now, it seems as though he has been healed at every level. As we sang, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Who else heals not just our broken bodies, but all of our soul's diseases? Israel's God was not just restoring bodies plagued by disease, illness, and brokenness. There are also a host of social and spiritual implications. Jesus is restoring all that is fractured. The story ends not just with physical healing, but complete holistic cleansing. And then back to verse 15. One returns, praising God with a loud voice, falling on his feet, on his face, not on his feet, that wouldn't be falling, I guess, falling on his face at Jesus' feet. He gives thanks. Again, there's more than meets the eye. This Samaritan of all people. The gospel author is sure to make special note of this fact. The Samaritan of all people, the doubly unclean man, not only does he have this leprosy that puts him in this position as an outcast, but he is also ethnically unclean. The Samaritan of all people, at least at some level, recognizes that Jesus is Israel's God, falls on his face to praise It's a shocking feature of the story, but it is an appropriate response. His life has been completely altered instantly. The lonely, forsaken isolation has ended. This is resurrection for this man in many ways as significant as someone raised from death. And the Samaritan of all people recognizes the gift he has received and returns to give thanks to the giver. Our call to worship today from Psalm 107 actually voiced a similar pattern. Calling God's people, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist goes on, God has revealed this to all of humanity but then also brings to mind some specific members of that collective community. Particular individuals from Israel's history who were in distress, who were on the brink of death, completely hopeless until God rescues them. Certainly the position these individuals with leprosy found themselves in. But I want to suggest today that the reality is, though our external situations vary drastically, this is actually a story we all share. All of us hopeless. All of us in distress in our own ways on the brink of death until God rescues This is our story. And the appropriate response, like the Samaritan in this story, the appropriate response to this reality is a shout of praise. 
a falling on the face at the feet of Jesus to give thanks. This is one of the reasons we sing songs together each week, to be reminded of the great gift of redemption and salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ, so that we don't become content to just receive the gift and then forget about the giver. So that the cares of this life don't overwhelm us to the point of forgetting God's love. Or, in other seasons, so that the goodness of life doesn't numb us to the point of forgetting the unfathomable gift of being seen and made whole by Jesus Christ. The Samaritan returns, but he's the only one. The other nine go on their way. I think that's worth noting that 100% of the individuals with leprosy, I'm not a mathematician, but I think this checks out, 100%, 10 out of 10, had faith in their moment of need. Now, sometimes that's not the case. For some, and in certain circumstances, great difficulty we experience can make faith a real challenge. I mean, if God is all-powerful and all-good, why in the world is there so much evil? Or if I'm doing my best to remain faithful to God, why doesn't it seem like he can be bothered to help me out in my moment of need? I mean, throw me a bone or something. Sometimes... Those moments of despair can damage faith. But conversely, and this is what we see play out in this story, sometimes faith is actually easier in moments of great need. When I am at my breaking point, if I'm on the brink of despair and I have no other option, no other hope, sometimes the only legitimate option is to turn to God for help. And to be honest, I don't bemoan that fact. If the end of the rope is what causes a heart to turn back to God, I think we rejoice in the limitless love of God who chases down each and every lost sheep. But all of these individuals have a similar encounter with God in Jesus Christ, but very different results, different responses to that encounter. 100% experience that healing from God, only 10% return to give thanks. There are a variety of reasons that the other nine don't return that I actually think make sense. Number one, maybe there is a fear. If Jesus is starting to to gain all of this negative attention, if I attach myself to him, what does that mean for my future? Or, and this is the one that clicks with me, maybe they are just excited to go show themselves to the priest and return to their family and friends. I actually get that impulse. But either way, I, I think this is something that we probably all wrestle with at various times. When things are going well, it can be really easy to forget the giver of the gift, to forget our creator and sustainer is God. When things are smooth sailing, we might forget that every good and perfect gift comes from above, as James, the brother of our Lord, wrote. 
It's like that popular worship song from the 2000s. And I hesitate to mention it because it's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day, but you probably remember it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow, when things are going great, when things are going terribly, on my best day and my worst day, our hearts are drawn in worship to the giver and the healer. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, we give thanks to God always and in everything. This is how N.T. Wright put it. He said, we know with our heads, if we have any Christian faith at all, that our God is the giver of all things. Every mouthful of food we take, every breath of air we inhale, every note of music we hear, every smile on the face of a friend, a child, a spouse, all that and a million things more are good gifts from his generosity. The world didn't need to be like this. It could have been far more drab. Of course, we have often made it dull and lifeless, but even there, God can spring surprises. There's an old spiritual discipline of listing one's blessings, naming them before God, and giving thanks. It's a healthy thing to do, especially in a world where we too often assume we have an absolute right to health, happiness, and every possible creature comfort. Just as an experience with difficult circumstances can create challenges when it comes to the life of faith, so can ease and comfort and success. So where I hope to take our minds today in this moment is this. Whatever we face, my hope, my prayer is that we would continue to develop an awareness of God's goodness in all. Growing in an awareness that the real gift is the giver of the gifts. The real gift is the healer. The real gift is not just the momentary, temporary healing. And to be sure, the healing these individuals experienced on this day that we read about in Luke 17, it was a temporary healing. How do we know? They're no longer living. Their bodies eventually broke down. Maybe it wasn't leprosy that got them in the end, but they didn't make it. Eventually, they all die. The real gift is the healer. The real gift, I think we find a picture of it at the end of the story, is the true healing and wholeness that Israel's God offers us. Our prayer of thanksgiving today that we said together for our prayer response affirms this same reality. We declare, we bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessing of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. All of those other things are genuine gifts that we enjoy, genuine gifts that draw our hearts into adoration, thankfulness, and worship. But the object of our worship, the true gift, 
is the healer. The true gift is the giver and the wholeness he invites us into. So this is what I hope to leave us with today. I think I've already said that, so bear with me. These are the takeaways. Jesus is always moving towards pain. And I think that includes whatever pain you have brought into this moment today. Jesus is moving towards you. The only thing left for us to do is open our hearts to his presence. He is the giver. He is the healer who addresses not only the presenting issues we all have, but what is at the core of our soul's ache. True, holistic healing. Wholeness. The real gift is the giver, not the gift. So today, let our hearts turn to God in thanksgiving for all of his goodness. Let our hearts and minds turn to God in thankfulness for his immeasurable love, for the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Would you stand with us as we prepare to celebrate around the table of our Lord, again, taking our minds in this tangible action This meal that Christ offers to us, we again focus on the true gift, the redemption and wholeness we have in Jesus Christ. I want to say a prayer for us by way of invitation. We'll make two lines down these center aisles. When you get to the front, the words will be spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. As you come to the table this morning, I hope you sense that whatever brokenness you are bringing to this place, Jesus is here, welcoming you, not keeping you at a distance, drawing you to his heart, offering wholeness, offering healing, offering help in your moment of pain. Receive that gift. Thanks be to God. Would you join us at the table?